Well, ladies, you've got the fat pills in front of you, and you can lean into this lecture. Let's thank God. Lord, we're grateful. Thanks for these cookies. They were good. We'd ask that you bless our time together as we justify the minds we, you gave us, that we might be transformed by their renewal, and we might prove what is your will. In your son's name, amen. Uh, an aside, um, if what we cover tonight, you, we have this, the way of a lady. Uh, Leslie and I uh, published a short book on the subject. It has the 15 rules of a lady and the 15 rules of a gentleman, the word of a gentleman, on facing pages in this book. And then Leslie wrote up, I wrote up all the philosophy things, Leslie wrote up in the back some simple sort of Idaho, the limits of Idaho manners. So if you're interested in that, it's available on Amazon. Really? And you'll get this, but you won't get as nice of a copy um, here. But if you're interested, you just look up my name and the word in the way, and you can look at this at some point if you'd like. Um, so the commercial ends up on the recording as well. Um, well, looks like the cookies made it around again. Um, when we talk about being a lady, a lot of in America there is a, uh, on one side a uh, an antipathy to the concept, uh, kind of a antagonism about anything being refined and uh, looking down on that refinement. And in sometimes in Christian circles or Christian schools there's a desire to teach manners or get manners uh, up to snuff in young people because there is no manners or there are no manners today. And what the usual mistake that pedestrian minds, and I trust you are not pedestrian minds, do is the pedestrian understanding, which is tell people what to do. Uh, which says, uh, open the door for the lady, uh, this is when you curtsy, this is how you shake hands, this is which fork you use, all of which are valid pieces of information, but they do not make neither a lady nor a gentleman. Um, and the basic thing that you see in this big quote, pull out quote on page 12, on the, uh, up near the top. As I thought about it, this is what it, that's how it's came to my mind. One is not what one must pretend to be. Okay? All you're admitting when you put on the outside trappings of a gentleman or a lady, you are admitting you are not one. Because you're having to pretend. Now, what this lesson is, is, is telling you why certain things of a ladylike behavior make sense and what is the root of their sense. Now, because you might get caught up, you might be a bit of a missionary someplace um, where everybody in the tribe squats in the dirt and wears a G-string and that's it. And, uh, and you say, well, what, what does this do? Me good? What good does this do me here? Well, the culture, every culture has a different set of proprieties. My mother was a missionary to Japan, and the proprieties in Japan are pretty exquisite. And completely, uh, the white man is uninformed. Um, 
everywhere you go, you'd have to be learning all sorts of new means of address. Well, the heart of a gentleman or a lady, if that's prepared, if the philosophy is held, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter what economy you're at, it doesn't mean ladies are all rich. They're not. Someone is a lady who thinks a certain way. And whatever circumstance she's been given, whatever culture, whatever time period, these philosophies should work. Our idea is if you're a Hottentot or a Hohenstaufen, that's the royal family of Austria. Um, I always liked that name, Hohenstaufen. Now, what's the nature of uh, this thing in the first place? The, a lady or a gentleman are the informal arbiters, not arbiters so much, as the example and guide and anchor in a social moment. Every society has arenas of it that descend into chaos. The ones that are criminal, the police enforce. The church steps in on certain places, family steps in on certain places. Certain authorities attend to the chaos that they're responsible for. A gentleman and a lady attend to the social chaos. They attend to the social uh, uh, breakdown, trying to keep the society from descending into barbarism. Say barbarism. Well, yeah, I just have to go to any gathering, large, large gathering of Americans, and watch how they behave, and realize how desperately. It, we need people who would hold a standard and encourage a standard and, and police a standard that would bring more order. Remember, wisdom was the, the, the arrangement of life according to order that would bring peace. This is one of those things. It's a gift you give. A lady is a gift given to a society. A gentleman is a gift given to society. Um, and it's hierarchical. There's no doubt about that. And that's not something you might be either comfortable or familiar with, but it is not egalitarian. It presumes a better standing. Now on the side here I have a, another basic statement of truth. This is not, you might disagree with me on all sorts of things. I don't think you really, this is defining of terms, this is not really where you could. The degree to which you successfully govern yourself and the circumstance defines your dignity and what honors are requisite to it. Okay? Does that, I write sometimes in a little bit of a thick way, and I apologize, but it, if you parse it out, it makes sense. If you govern yourself, we've been talking about that regarding your spirit, regarding your wisdom. Here is regarding your place and function as a Christian woman in society. And the degree to which you successfully govern yourself and the circumstance around you determines, defines your dignity. Dignity, God here, unformed matter here. Okay? Everything in the cosmos stands between those two points in a hierarchy. It has its dignity. That's what dignity means. It's where you are in the lineup. Are you a Viscount? Are you a Duke? Are you a peasant? Are you unformed matter? That's, that's, that's the bottom, so don't pick that one. <laughs> the dignity of something has certain honors that are requisite to it. Honor is how we address dignities. That's why when you meet an older coot like me, you say, well, should I call you Evan or Mr. Wilson? 
what, what, because you want to know. You say, oh, what are the honorifics? What does your household expect? Do you, do you feel comfortable with this? Um, when you're dealing with a major general, what do you, how do you speak of the Queen of England, Her Majesty? Do, do you curtsy or do you bow? What, what do you do? What, what, that's the honor that's due a dignity. Your government of yourself defines where you are. Your government of the circumstance defines where you are. <coughs> you can't be st stamping your pretty little foot. And, and, uh, that's the wind or that's... It's just been slowly closing. It's like six inches open. It's slowly closed. Okay. Yeah, it's the air pressure. Air pressure. Okay. Scientist <laughs> as well. Now look at she make wafers. But she um, when a woman, a lot of times women, yeah, have you heard that women can be catty? Have you, have you heard that? And they get, they get a little um, disgruntled. A little umbrage is taken. They're very conscious of their standing. And you need, if you're, other than the unchristian nature of that standing claim, um, uh, is a, um, I don't know why the guys in there don't answer the phone, but. Uh, we need servants is what we need. <laughs> And you take her, we don't pay anything. <laughs> we want to be sure that just because people are grasping after position all the time, grasping after illegitimately, maybe even being arrogant in position, does not mean that position doesn't exist. Position exists. When it tells us, honor to whom honor is due, if you don't believe in the word better, you can't. You're supposed to honor man, you're supposed to honor the emperor, and you don't honor man the same way as you honor the emperor. So this is something that we want you to consider, and not just swallow it and go, yep, I paid 50 bucks for this seminar, I'm believing everything I hear. It's worth cash dollar to me. <laughs> the second part of this rule is that we are humane to the degree we govern ourselves, civilized to the degree we are governed in an ordered society, and noble to the degree we are of governing service to it. Those are also inarguable. Just stating, just stating what goes by you. Just stating, yep, gravity, 32 feet per second squared. That's what that is. You are humane to the degree you govern yourself. Every time you look at the people at Walmart website, and you take that satisfaction of knowing you have never been caught with your pants halfway down your rear end and the rear end being really, really big. <laughs> in a store. Shopping. You say, well, what, why am I feeling, I mean, other than maybe some questionable non-Christian attitudes about my fellow man, why do I feel better? Not uh, The sin aspect, whether or not you're sinning in your heart about it, you are recognizing that you live a more ordered existence. You have a more humane existence. And perhaps you live in a society or a portion of it where that society is ordered. And so what a lady does, what a lady is, is she is the agent of nobility, civilization, and humanity at the level she can. The level of her economy, the level of whatever society she's in, whether it's a foreign one or a home one or her house or her business, Whatever it is, 
she is an agent of this truth. Now, there are 15 rules. You say, how do we know that? Because I said so. I wrote them. You say, after 6,000 years of human history, finally, Evan Wilson wrote the rules <laughs> for being a lady. It happened this way. I was uh, concerned about young men, the lack of gentlemanly behavior, and I had been a fan of Count Castiglione, Baldazar Castiglione, and um, uh, Philip Stanhope, Lord Chesterfield, for many years, since the 70s. And I had read their works. Baldazar Castiglione's was the code of the courtier. He was a Renaissance uh, gentleman. And he wrote a very good book. We're going to find a copy of it. Um, on a conversation between ladies and gentlemen in Venice, I think, in the Renaissance, uh, just talking about what it takes to be a gentleman. This conversation goes back and forth, arguing about it. It's a great, great book. He was painted by Raphael. Probably the greatest portrait ever, better than the Mona Lisa. The Mona Lisa is nothing compared to this one. This is the portrait of Castiglione by Raphael. Get a picture of it. It's great. Uh, Philip Stanhope, Lord Chesterfield, uh, Georgian, 17, died in 1773, um, was an um, English nobleman, and he wrote a series of letters to his son, called the Letters of Lord Chesterfield, and on how his son should behave to become a gentleman, think to become a gentleman. So I had pulled apart Chesterfield primarily, with reference to Castiglione, um, basic themes, and there were 15 basic themes in Chesterfield about what needed to be thought about for a gentleman. So I made the list. First I made the list of the rules, then I made the sub-rules, which were the explanations for the, the rules, and then a one-sentence explanation, and then um, I made a poster, and various guys wanted it, and finally a father came to me and said, well, where's the one for the, I've got daughters. I had to write 15. Had to match. <laughs> there are 15 because there were 15 for the guys, and I wanted them to match. They aren't the same rules, by the way. Um, I'm going to mention each one in passing. We're going to go through some in some detail um, to let you know how it's not telling you. Say the first one: a lady is chased. Okay, stay out of the sack with men. Okay, that's, oh yeah, we know that, we're Christians. Not that kind of chastity. We have to realize that when we're talking about your presence in society, your presence morally before God is one way. A woman does not have to be a lady to be godly. But if she, but if she is placed in a situation where civilization and nobility are expected of her, where it's rest, just like I, I don't have to be... Um, I don't have to be a great father if I don't become a father. As a Christian, I, mean, I don't know if St. Paul could have been a great father. I assume he could, but he did, never got married and he didn't have kids. So, but if you volunteer for that, it's incumbent upon you to take that part of wisdom and understand what part of wisdom the Christian woman feels towards society. Not merely her moral obligations, but why we understand certain things a certain way. Some of them I'll skim over because we mentioned them kind of in the, the bit about uh, wisdom and the adventurous and some other things. So I won't dwell on ones that 
You can also read these uh, at your leisure. They are short paragraphs, or long paragraphs, that, that are um, trying to explain what we mean. First you have the rule, then you have the defining sentence, and then you have a short explanation. The first one, and there's no particular order of these, this does not build to a crescendo. Okay, there's not, there's not a dramatic arc in these 15, it's just 15 and it ended up in this order, because I think I wrote them in this order. A lady is chaste. Her accessibility is now appropriate. Now, it's, it seems obvious to say that an unchaste lady is no lady. <laughs> That's if it, now certainly there have been famous ladies who were loose, but you know that in terms of the, you know, the social arrangement of a lady, uh, nobody would put the two things together. Ladies would try to keep that quiet. They don't want to be thought of that way. Now, defining chastity is not as simple as um, don't get into trouble with guys. But it has to do with understanding. And this will, you know, as you deal with daughters, as you deal with, with uh, friends that you're advising or yourself, you, you want to break these things down aggressively. For a husband and wife to kiss passionately is not unchaste. Right? We're picking something that's not a, a, even a moral or immoral act. Kissing passionately. It doesn't say in the Bible you shall not kiss anyone passionately. And so, your husband and wife kissing passionately, nobody says, oh, how unchaste, how could she do that? So, what a trollop. Husband and wife. 15-year-old girl meets boy at a party, 15 minutes after being introduced to him, they're making out. Now, they're doing the exact same thing. The act is the same act. Husband and wife mashing faces together. 15-year-old kids mashing faces together. If I'm looking at rules, if I'm looking at Actions, is that, well, can the, does the church say there's anything wrong with mashing faces together? Is this a, you know, what if it's just holding hands? What if, what if husband and wife walking down the mall holding hands? 15-year-old kid, just met the guy, holding hands, walking down the, she's not chased. Because accessibility is vow appropriate. What makes unchastity unchaste is not the act, it's not what you do finally cross the line into moral misbehavior. But are you the kind of woman that doesn't understand what the price is for any aspect of you? There's a vow that goes with every level. If a guy meets you at a party and is introduced to you, he has got the degree of access to you of possibly fetching you a drink. That's about it, and chatting with you. That's, what, that's the kind of access he gets for being introduced. And if the relationship goes on longer and more, more responsibility is taken on by the man, the more responsibility he takes on in your life, the greater access. So now that he has proposed to you, you said yes, that kiss on the front stoop after a date is fine. And walking down the mall, holding hands, fine. Because vows have increased. Exposure to taking care of you is increased. Now, on the other side of the question, this chastity issue works both ways on the vow. There are married women who do not 
um, pay their vow. The man said, I'm going to pay your bills till you die. I'm going to take care of you till you die. There's a level of uh, affection that is appropriate to the vow. A woman who has violated the pledge the other direction is just as wrong as the girl, you know, who's being too easy on the street. But once you stop and say, my accessibility is vow appropriate, you, you have something else to think about than just do I have a Bible verse that says I can't make out? Do I have a Bible verse that says I can't hold hands? Because that's a, a Pharisee's approach. That's the pedestrian. That is, oh, let's be obvious. But if you're a thinking woman and say, okay, I need to understand you know, who gets access to this. When does this become a second-hand store? With a liberal return policy. Uh, nobody really wants to be thought of that way. And I have to say, well, complete access, sex, comes with the vows of marriage before witnesses. Legal exposure at the courthouse. It says, I signed my life away. Here's marriage license. Pastor said, Pax will be scum, and off you went. That's when you give it all away. But it's a handier way of guiding your behavior and your knowledge of what reputation you're gaining when you are the kind of person that gives away too much affection too quickly. Rule two. A lady is reverent. She speaks with honor of those higher than she. Reverent, once again, like the word chastity. A lot of these words you wouldn't think these things if you saw them. Because the word reverent, we think, well, like a reverend. Evan, you're a reverend. A pastor, a clergyman. Reverent always seems to be regarding religion in our minds because that's one of the last vestiges of reverence in this world. Not much of it left there either. I think there's something about overhead projectors that is irreverent. But we're talking about something else. We're talking about society and a woman's reverence. Because once she steps into a world where there is an up and down, God at the top, unformed matter at the bottom, and everybody else in between, and you're taking a responsibility to govern yourself and arriving at a dignity and serving your society in it, you need to understand that if you expect people to revere what you're doing, you need to revere those above you. That's what honor is. When you honor, you are expressing reverence. It's an application of the golden rule. You do unto others as you would be done by. If you would like someone to revere, say you're hosting a party, and it's going on really well, and someone doesn't reverence your role in that situation, doesn't seems to think it's a communal affair, and you're not the one really in you know, you say, well, no, I need, if I expect reverence for my position of what I'm doing in this world, I need to show that I believe in the idea, not just I'm just self-centered and I like people to always do things my way. I gotta show that I believe in reverence, not believe in me. I'm not about believing in me, I'm believing in reverence. I'm believing the things that are above ought to be honored by the things below. Even the things above ought to honor the things below for being where they are. That's why it says uh, to husbands, honor the woman as the weaker vessel. It says that she's weaker, but honor her for that. You, we honor all men. They are, they are, we give them the honor that is due their position. We have to be 
examples. Um, we have to be examples of this. If we are going to step into a world, again, we're not trying to put everybody in Victorian dresses so that they can all run around and play, play politeness. Let's, let's play. We, we used to be a, this story still is, a, a, at Logos School, a dinner every, or a, a training session called Protocol. Where that they, was last night. That was last night? Uh, yeah. Did you guys go? No, no. Friends did. Friends did. My, our, my kids went, my older ones. Uh, and they got training for whatever amount of time. And at, at Montrose, we Academy, we used to take the students there through this over the course of a week, and then have a big fancy dinner at the end. After which they reverted to exactly what they were, swine. <laughs> they were Philistines, they were complete failures as human beings. But in both schools, in both teaching environments. Um, because at that age, they don't want to learn the principles, and at that age, they certainly don't want to keep pretending to be that. But we are thinking that we want to understand these benefits. We, we want to be noble, serving the society we're in. We want to have a more ordered civilization we are in. We want to have a life that is more so. The curtsy, in a metaphorical sense, is the receiving of the blessing. When you, I like the fact in, in uh, one of Lewis's books, he has a woman coming in and she courtesies. She doesn't curtsy, she courtesies. Because the word curtsy is a of courtesying. Okay? And that's what it is. A, a, a court uh, uh, response of um, being under. Different societies do it different ways. They bow different ways. Who bows the lowest? Who bows first? Whatever. The curtsy, metaphorically, I'm not suggesting that we, you next time you come in the big house, that, like Mr. Wilson, you'd have to wear a skirt. You can't just do that to the jeans. <laughs> it's a metaphor for accepting the blessing of rule above you. A lady is reverent. She has, she has shown she understands position because of the way she speaks of people above her. It's not, a lady is not in the business of getting people to speak of her this way. We're not supposed to be that self-centered. But if you want people to learn from your behavior or be guided by it, you have to take this on. Rule three, a lady is gentle. Now this is an often misunderstood one. The strength of her hands protects the frail. Too often, China doll type women, weaklings, are considered gentle because they don't have the strength to damage anything. That's not who's gentle. Gentle are strong women who don't break things, who protect frail things, who take it under their wing. You never can tell with a weak woman. I had a girlfriend once who it was like a China doll. I mean, she said like one word, I think, in our relationship. Go away, I think that's two words. Um, um, she was a Southern Baptist pastor's daughter in Southern California, but she was a China doll. It was like you touch, touch her, just shatter, you know. Um, but she was very, very weak. Not just physically weak, weak as a person. Um, when weak women are around. Now, a weak woman, if she's physically, if she's physically weak, God help her, she could still be a lady, and she's just doing as much as she can with her physical strength. 
But women who are temperamentally weak, they are the object of protection of real ladies. They are the ones who need to be upheld. They are the ones that everybody rushes around and tries to get up off the floor and get smelling salts too and get there to stop their hysterics. Um, a strong woman can be a shield to these people. Now, strong women, on the other hand, weak women are not presumed to be gentle. Strong women, they have to, sometimes the desire, we know they're strong sometimes because of all the bad uses of their strength. In other words, they're loud, they're brash, they're uh, uh, they're bulls in a china shop, or excuse me, what are women? Cows in a china shop. Not bull. Bulls are guys. Um, you don't want to be jostling the world like that. You're supposed to be uh, controlling your actions. When young men, I don't know if girls went through this, when we go through adolescence or puberty, our arms get longer by the day. And so we're knocking glasses over every, every restaurant we're in. I think my brother must have knocked over every glass on the eastern seaboard <laughs> in every restaurant. And he fell in every, every time we went near water, he fell in. It was like he could not control his body anymore because everything was out of, out of whack. I don't know if girls deal like that with their changing self. But what you, as you grow and mature, you say, I'm getting more control. I've got de dexterity. I know where my hands are, my feet are at any moment. And a strong person applies the strength as a lady to being a benefit to those things that are weaker, to protecting the things that are below. You don't just reverence the things above, you protect the things below. Lewis says that when he defines the nature of the hierarchy. We have a debt we pay upward and a debt we pay downward. This is the debt a lady will pay downward to the circumstance, the children, the other women, um, the problems that beset a moment. Um, basically, I say here at the end, weakness needs service. A lady serves. Okay? And I have that quote from Proverbs, she girds her loins with strength and makes her arms strong. Rule four. No, lady is quiet. Eh. I just. There are some women who think that their touchiness, we'll just call it, their responsiveness, their squeal, their hysterics, their loud laughing, all these things are makes them exciting and makes them sound spontaneous and they're the kind that put exclamation points after a lot of things. Well, that's called raising the, or lowering the value by increasing the quantity. That too many exclamation points after a statement in your email and, and you go, you know, that exclamation points are no longer valuable. She has <laughs> taken the market completely out of them. Uh, there's nothing there. People want to act that way. A lady does not that does not um, uh, comport itself, that, uh, she ought not comport herself that way. Excess is not something a lady would tie to herself in any regard. So I, did, I just, I, you read that on your own, I, I didn't want to go into too much on that. A lady adorns her world. She knows and practices at the beautiful. Now, some people know, I'm an artist, and I like pretty things. 
I tear up. Um, God made pretty things. God made the beauty response. Now, how do I, you know, how much of the world is off the rails pursuing artificial beauty? Or uh, I saw a news story on some Ukrainian babe who has gotten herself fixed to look exactly like Barbie. Exactly. In all respects and ratios. And it's go. That's a life, I guess. Now, we, so, we know, so we maintain the usual um, defenses against conceits and vanities. But why would a lady adorn the world? One basic reason is you're in the business of serving it. The society you're in, you're busy serving. You're giving them gifts. People, the people that receive your gifts are, well, say, I bought the wife a diamond ring, finished off my water, dropped the ring in the bottle, put the cap on, said, here, honey, I go out to this. She looks at the ring, maybe inch of water is a ring in there. She sees the ring. Well, thank you, honey. That's a very nice display. Very nice wrapping. That's how guys wrap, right? They wrap some newspaper around it, tape it. Well, you know what you want to do. Have you ever gotten a Japanese gift? A gift from, gift from anybody Japanese or Korean? And you begin to realize, oh my gosh, I will, I will sacrifice ten servants on, on the gallows tomorrow just to keep this box. Just the box that it came in. Just the actually layers of boxes it came in with the rice paper and the tissue and the matching color and I don't even know what's in it yet. The thing is a wonder. But you know that you're getting a gift. You're, you're getting something. Why, why would a hostess work her piney off producing a meal that was just wonderful and lay out a bunch of china paper plates? Well, it's the food that's important, right? And why, why, why would you put nice plates out? My wife has too many nice plates. But she loves to put them out, like at Christmas. When people, something special is going to go in you, it makes you feel special. And does she come in, because, wow, I've been working in the kitchen, guys, and so the, the pink, you know, on the rear end, and the sweatpants, and, and uh, <laughs> hair, and a ponytail, keep it out of her face. Why, why should she dress up for a nice party? Why look good? Because the people you give the gift to are going to get contrary or agreeable signals to the gift you're giving. If you're going to give them the gift, the hospitality of your home, the kindness of the meal, the diamond ring, whatever it is, you're going to wrap it. You're going to wrap it appropriately. You're going to make the music in the room appropriate. I always, we have a, a, a dinner here for young, with young people. We had one a little while ago. And, and uh, initially it was uh, Beethoven's pastoral when they arrived. People showing up, girls in gowns and guys in suits and nice banquet table and Beethoven. Did I say Mozart first time? You said Beethoven. Beethoven, good. Don't want to seem stupid. One of my favorite pieces. Because it, it set a certain mood. Now, we sit in a table, a little while later, 
dinner conversations are hubby bubbing and, and people are chatting and young people are being young and flirting with the ladies and, and the ladies are being coy. And so I went back to the stereo and put a little bit better music on, a little bit more aggressive music on because I wanted it to increase the level of the feeling of the social moment. We decorate. A lady adorns her world and she knows and practices at the beautiful. It's how any gift is helped, help you, it, it helps you define the gift to the person it is given to. I have a quote from Ecclesiastes 3 here. It's one of my favorite verses. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And that's what you want to think about in your life. Have I, have I even looked at what makes things beautiful? Or even care? Some of you have got some background in the arts. Some of you just like being in those situations that are more beautiful. And it doesn't, again, it's, we're not talking about only those that have the wherewithal to spend money on a catering company and the flowers from the gazillion dollar range. And Well, we're talking about people at whatever level you're at. That if you just have a friends over for a cookout, burgers, and everybody's going to be wearing jeans, do you make the picnic table look good? And you can. Where everybody feels just a little bit better. I don't know if you notice it, but I think in this house, I checked one time, maybe you can check again at some point. Doesn't look like they did it here. Some of these places, all those screws, they lined up the heads. And they go, ah, what a, what a degree of obsession. That must have been. Uh, but there's a, uh, a degree of order and beauty that comes on the situation that features. We bought this house because we know that if I lived in a suburban split-level home with aluminum siding, you know, and a, maybe three-quarters of an acre, and a fake little wishing well out front, and I wanted to teach this stuff, nobody would listen. Because who would believe that the guy who lived there knew anything? But because I live here, you are deceived. <laughs> a lady has understanding. She knows that ignorance is mother to chaos and the common. This is the encouragement to the wisdom. I won't go into that. Read it on your own. But rule seven, a lady is adept in small things. She ably repels the incidental futilities. Life is filled with gremlins who do bad things to you at bad times. The rip, oh, I was preaching a sermon a few months ago, maybe a year ago, and someone told my wife to tell me that I had a major rip in the back of my pants. We're not talking, oh, it was like a nine-inch rip. Not down the seam, right down the, you know, cheek. I'm the pastor up front about to preach a sermon. But I wouldn't have given for a nice sewing ticket. I just had to warn the church not to get behind me and, and went on with my, with my ministry. Incidental futilities happen. You show up at a party and you got to run in your nylons. Don't you wish that some lady was there who said, oh yeah, I always bring an extra pair here. I should go to the bathroom. Some women always seem to know what to do. You come out of the kitchen, I got too much salt in the soup. I 
I know how to deal with this. We put a bunch of potatoes in for a while, cook it for a while, the potatoes absorb the salt. I don't know if it's true, I'm making it up. Um, <laughs> some people know how to deal with things. Ladies are adept at small things, repelling incidental futilities. And you can't sweat the incidentals. They're there, but you can't prepare for them. You can't prevent them. Don't try. You're preparing the big thing. You're preparing the big dinner. You're preparing the big moment. You're preparing this event for your friends. But you being ready for the incidentals, just you being ready, just not doing anything about it until they happen. Get, keep whatever graces you have are ready. And sometimes that incidental answer to a problem that one of your guests had changes the wonder and the perspective their evening had. They, uh, Lewis all, uh, said, I can't remember where, might be in Four Loves, but might not be. Courtesy is love in trifles. This is what we're doing. When you're adept at small, you don't just, oh, I don't know how to do that, I don't know how to do that. Every little thing you learn, just store it away and say, you know, because I am the policewoman of a society. It might be a small North Idaho, backwoods, hick society, but the society we're in, bad things can happen. And some the men are going to deal with, and some the women are going to deal with. And if a woman can't deal with it, she knows, a lady knows, perhaps who I can find who can. She answers the problem. She steps into the breach. That's the thing that becomes the gossip of the moment. The quality of the party, the greatness of the party, yeah, people like that, but the person you saved from apocalyptic end because they had a rip at the back of their pants. Hmm. I don't know if you ever had a friend who did something like that for you in a situation where there was, you couldn't get to whatever the answer was. And you were stuck in a bathroom. You know, was... Rule number eight. A lady is of good repute. She is honored by her company. It says in the scriptures, a good name is above rubies. And you have to say that whatever you are, whoever you are, you're gaining one. You're gaining repute. The question is, how good? People, when they think of your name, if they remember you at all, if you haven't just absorbed completely into the wallpaper and you aren't completely trying to stay out of everyone's radar, where you're not giving yourself at all, we're assuming that you've at least conquered this primary obligation of a Christian to be loving in the world. Now, you might not choose to be a dinner party. I'm giving those sorts of illustrations. Those are the things we do. But, but you might not be a dinner party sort of person. It may be barbecues. It may be, it may be um, uh, trips to the beach. Whatever it is you do and for, for entertainment, you're doing something to involve yourself in other people's lives, and you're not just about you. But people are, so once you step out of yourself, you start gaining a reputation. I have this definition that C.S. Lewis, or not the definition, a description of C.S. Lewis, of a certain woman. She was the kind of woman that lived for others. You could tell the others by their hunted expression. There are some people out there thinking they're, they're building a reputation as a lady. And they're really building a, a reputation as a biatch. Okay? They're building a reputation as someone who it doesn't let you go, doesn't let you have any peace and quiet, doesn't leave well enough alone. 
Reputation, you, the thing is, you don't get to control your reputation. Well, it was secondhand. Reputation is what other people think of you. Okay, so, so we're not saying, well, have a good reputation about yourself. In this self-esteem culture, that might be what they would tell you. This is you being good that their opinion might be better. It's how you treat them because in their memories is where your reputation rests. How you treat others, their memories, how they hold things is there. So all you can do is continue to treat people well. Now, you want to have a good reputation because it is a, when you hear back, you don't fish for the compliment. You don't go around going, well, yeah, what do you think? You think I'm all right? And you don't, that's ugly. And then people don't tell you the truth when you fish for a compliment. But the compliments you hear coming back to you naturally, you need to hear them. Everyone, the reason God tells us to honor people, by the way, is people like honor. If honor or feeling honored or even thinking about your honor was wrong, God wouldn't tell us to run around honoring everybody and outdoing one another in it. Your information, to think no more of your highly of yourself than you ought to think, you need that information, but you don't go begging for it. You wait for it to come to you. You wait to, for it to hear of, of it naturally because you also want to know how you're doing. The younger ladies, the younger ladies who haven't had a chance to make a reputation in the world, they need to know who to talk to. They need to know. Reputation allows them to make a decision, not just going through the phone book and picking names that sound like they're 40. You kind of know names are trendy. And so you look back, what were the trendy names back in the 1970s? Or the, would it be the 60s? When were you 40 year olds born? 70. You're 70? Mm -hmm. 1970. I was born in the 50s. And 40s. 40s? I was 40s. born in the 40s. No, you're 40. <laughs> in your 40s. <laughs> I was like, okay. Well, how do you, before, this, before this turns into a real caddy moment, let's uh, recommend to the young ladies that there is that when you're out there scanning for someone to get advice from, you're going to want to find the women with reputations that are providing this sort of thing, and. That's what the reputation exists for. It's not merely gossip. You can't gossip about good things, you know, in a, in a bad, sinful way. Did you hear what so-and-so did? She wore the best dress ever. Nobody goes, oh, you should have never. Oh, the gossip. How awful. But if you said, you see how fat she was at the last part? That's gossip, okay? Bad's gossip. Good is just complimentary. It's just a good thing. I have a passage here from 1 Timothy 5. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and she must be well attested for her good deeds. As one who has brought up children, shown hospitality, washed the feet of the saints, relieved the afflicted, and devoted herself to doing good in every way. We could have just said that at the beginning of the week and said, we're done. This is, the, this is what a church should enroll as a legitimate widow. The church in the first century would uh, provide for a woman who was widowed if she met these requirements. She was worth the church supporting. 
After, if she had no family to take care of her, the church would support her, and she would devote herself to prayer. Rule number nine. A lady is charitable. It's not one I really want to go into, but I want you to think about it this way. Her, by her means, she benefits the needy. This is not the charity of Christian kindness. This is not writing a check for the Sudan, which is a good thing to do in its own right. A lady has a series of obligations. She has her family, her household, and once her efficiency in her family and household are arrived at, when she has conquered those things, when she has beat that into a jelly, then her charity as lady, your check to the Sudan or your check you're giving to a needy person on the street, um, those are acts of a Christian. We're talking about the lady part of you. Your call, once you have the freedom and the wherewithal, um, to whatever degree wherewithal, you become a benefit to the close by needs, what we would call the tenantry. Household, family, household, tenantry in that order. So they, a, a, a woman of, of limited means, financial limited means, her immediate tenantry, that which her social life has an effect on, her social being and presence, she might mean that she helps the old lady next door get her, get her groceries every week, drives her to the store and helps her with her groceries. That's an act of tenantry. You've taken the close by, the actual neighbor. This is off the idea of landed gentry in England, and the landed gentry had a debt to go out and visit and help the sick in their little villages inside their demean, okay? inside the fief. And the, the, the high ladies would go out and visit with the lepers and the pestilence and all the rest. They would help the downtrodden inside their fief. They weren't family, they weren't in the household, but they were close by. A lady takes on, uh, because, you say, well, well why? Is this because they did it in England? No, because, because there is a... Uh, your desire is to police and gain greater order in your social circumstance. Because for the greater good of everyone, the more order, the more civilized, the more noble you are. And being a service to your society, you're bringing peace into the situation. It tells us in Timothy to pray for those who are governing over us. This is like the Roman Empire, pagan, pagan, pagan. That we may live quiet and peaceable lives and that the gospel may not be hindered. The more peaceful a situation is, the, more, the fewer disruptions of life and comfort there are, the more available people's souls in a nation, in a region, in a continent, whatever it is, and in your social moment, if you have contributed to the peace of the situation, you have done a good thing. All of these things, especially you'll hear some things going by, she is adept in small things, or, or what was the word? She's an adept in small things. Why should I concern myself with a big, adept in small things? It's a small thing. You said it right there. Well, I am, I'm assuming you know the idea of ordinate valuation. Because something is good, being adept in small things, does not mean it's the overgood. The gospel is more important than being adept in small things. Both are good. 
they can't be switched and how valuable they are. You, you have to have them at their right degree of value. And so that's why a woman, she has her first duty to her family. First duty. Not to the neighbor, to her family. Christians have their first duty, the scriptures say, to help the saints in their time of need. There's a first duty to that family in charity. Second duty to the, the great unwashed, the Philistines. So you have to learn to put things in their proper, and, and you know, you run around becoming a trivial woman because you've got all these small things lined up waiting for some incidental futility to leap up, but you're not ready for anything like cooking an egg or, or feeding your family, and that might be a problem. A lady is honest. She abhors the false in word and deed. Once again, here's one that sounds like it's a moral thing. But we find ourselves making excuses for this not being entirely lived when a societal penalty is paid. With the young men, I have, I think their second rule, a gentleman is honest. Let's see what it is. Modest. Gentleman is honest. For a gentleman, he admits his demerits frankly. And that's really a guide to this. There is a, um, women, um, I don't know, I, I belong to a philosophy club, I mentioned that, that I have here for 30 years, and we fight like dogs and have a great time. Women don't enjoy debates as much because um, they, with other women, they don't, um, they know how badly a woman can be hurt. And so they don't want to kick her in the shins unless it's a cat fight in a bar. You know, that's what, uh, and so a lot of times when something comes up, do you like my new dress? And it's hideous. It's just, and I, objectively, the angel standing on your elbow whispering to you, yeah, God thinks it's awful. <laughs> you know it's awful. God knows it's awful. The Archangel Michael knows it's awful. <laughs> you could interview 12 people, honest men, on the street. They would come back within 15 minutes with a jury verdict. It's awful. And she's asking what you think of it. You do not have the privilege of lying. You can't lie. Because false compliments are as uh, unbecoming as rudeness. It's unbecoming of a lady to tell an untruth. You don't want to have... You say, well, so I just become abrupt and, yeah, it's awful. No, you say, okay, I can't. I mayn't lie, but uh, the truth would hurt her. The bald truth would hurt her. So... Um, I'll think of something, but it's not going to be the false. It's not going to be the false word. You don't want to ever be in the situation where you're tricking friends to attend to something that you're throwing by telling them something that isn't true about the thing that you're throwing. Whether you're trying to sell them Amway afterwards, or or you're uh, really just you. You told them that there were going to be pretty girls there just so they would come, but they and then pretend that they cancel. You don't do things like that. You don't, you don't live a life in falsehood. When things go wrong, some women will lie when things don't turn out. They'll come up with a better sounding story of why they burned the roast, or why they're having soup instead of roast. 
They make it sound like just like, well, I just decided. No, you're saying I burned the rust for having soup. Because frank admission, frank admission of your demerits, uh, things that might have gone wrong, is far more advancing for your reputation because it shows you care more for the give the the giftee than the giver. The lying is to protect the giver. Is to protect you. You're not there for you. A lady is there for them. And if they would be better served by knowing the truth than knowing a falsehood, you owe them that. You could also be the recipient of falsehood. You want to make yourself scarce, like with the gossip. Gossip is so usually untrue. You have to be, have your guard up against it. Christian women could be notorious for it because they're not allowed to run around and get drunk, so they gossip. Call it a prayer meeting. You know, I don't know. Uh, whatever it, it will be uh, possible to step over a line to make the delectable nature of the conversation about poor Mrs. Jensen's problem with drink. Let's pray for poor Mrs. Jensen. Did you hear what happened to her last Thursday? It says in Proverbs 21, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. And that's what you're looking for when you lie socially to protect what you think is your reputation. It starts to get out, by the way, that your, that your word can't be taken. You cannot cash it. It's not something anyone can trust. This is one of my favorite ones. Rule 11, a lady is poised. She stands as a memorial to the civilized. All of you have a posture. I'm talking physical posture here. Poised. And so what are you talking about, Evan? I, you know, I'm supposed to be drawn more closely to God in this week, and you're telling me to stand up straight. Because my wife wants to become an old lady who tells young girls to stand up straight. Because young girls don't stand up straight. Poise. Now, hey, lady. There's a chair right there. We're on page 17. We're up to rule 11. Why poise? What am I? What am I talking about? Well, it's like the adorning the world. Women are an object of attraction and representation, and you have been given a skeleton. And that skeleton, you ever did sculpture? You can't know what an armature is. You build an armature out of wood or wire or something. And you build your clay or wax, whatever it is, on the armature. It holds it up because the clay or the wax won't hold up itself, the amount of weight that you're putting on it. So, you need an armature. That's what your skeleton does. All that loose flesh would just be in a puddle on the floor and you'd be seeping around in your day. Be hard to dress. <laughs> so you've been given this armature and this meat hangs on this armature. And many women go through life acting as if the only thing that is making a choice in their life is 32 feet per second squared. Just Gravity sucking all that meat to the center of the earth and the armature holding it up. 
They stand around like cows. Okay, a cow's in a field. There's a cow. And what is a cow doing? Is it, is it posed? Is it looking gracious and genteel? No, it's not. It's a cow. And women who walk around with just gravity making the choices, that's what they look like. Now, once you get past that, once you say, you know, maybe I ought to think. I remember, you are humane to the degree you order yourself. Okay? Maybe I ought to make some choices. Some people, you know, I know some, you know, honest, we call them, you know, like dim people who, you know, just gracious, not real bright people who they don't have a feast of reason going on in their heads. Life did not favor them that way. They can stand in a field and look like it's just all right with the world because they are just being sucked to the center of the earth and gravity is holding them there. There's no pose, but that is representative of a person who does not have the capability, has not been given a gift of, of a greater amount from God. If you have been given intelligence and social circumstance and a certain degree of wherewithal to function in it, you, like the parable of the talents, you ought to be doing something. Say you get to the point where, yeah, you know that your humanity, your civilization is going to require more. What, what you stand like represents what you value. Now, I, when, when, when homeschooling came on, I usually like to kick the homeschoolers down the flight of stairs, but there was a certain quality of the homeschooling mom that became, uh, it was part and parcel with homeschooling and with the soccer mom. The soccer mom was the tennis shoe wearing efficiency. We got a minivan. We're going to get four kids into this minivan. We're going to get to Walmart. We're going to get back. We're going to unload groceries. We're going to do a lesson. We're going to have a reading. And everything about their position is this is a position of efficiency. This is action. They, they, they walk like they're wading upstream. They're looking for the best footing in the stream. They don't stop and go, hold it, I'm a woman. I have a debt to my womanhood, don't I? No, I have a debt to getting stuff done. And so they function that way. Then there are girls who are more athletic. And tragically, guess what? Athletics were developed by guys for guys, and most of the athletic events are defined by guys. And doing them well, you do them like a guy. I remember Logos went through a kind of a hissy fit about its basketball program for girls at one point. I don't know, probably girls playing basketball. But they suddenly realized that all the girls we're walking around like guys now. You know, because to play basketball well, you kind of move a little less like a girl and more like, you know, Michael Jordan. You know, not even a white guy, a black guy. Okay, so uh, you have to be good. You have to give up some qualities. To run well. You ever see girls run like natural girls, like a regular girl with hips, runs? What do they usually do? The elbows are out like this. <laughs> And you say, oh, how cute. She's lovely. But then you see some track star, some female who's running Olympic level, and they're like gazelles. They're, they're just, um, it's a beautiful in its own right. But you don't stop thinking, oh, what a beautiful woman. And what a beautiful runner. She's a wonderful runner. But we realize that we start to, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the mom who's efficiency oriented, or anything wrong with the athlete who, who has to end up standing and functioning like a guy. And there may be women who uh, 
are really womanly in their poise. You know, it's a really. Um, my dad used to tease my niece, Becca, because Becca walks like a high and rolling sea. I mean, it's she's tall and she swings it. You know, it's just. And it's just that her natural movement, she grew up in a very modest and restrained home, uh, but she, you know, just, and he always teased her about it. <coughs> Some women put that on. They get the little, you know, Daisy Dukes on and, you know, horseshoes, and they walk around, and they move their body and their poise to communicate what they value. What you value is once you start designing yourself and saying, I'm going to govern myself just like the packaging you put around the diamond ring or the good gift or the low gift or the nice dinner. You are the package of what you venerate. Not just what you're giving, but what you value. And a civilized woman, if, she is, if she's going to say, okay, I'm not the wanton one, I'm not the athlete, I'm not the homeschool mom, I really feel that my job in society, and I'm not saying that all women are supposed to be this and not that, I'm just saying that if you choose this, poise is going to represent something. It's going to represent grace. If you drove past a uh, mansion where you knew a lady lived, a real lady, what would you expect the estate to look like? You know, you, you have expectations. You even have definitions of a part in your mind. How you imagine a late, some estate of well-bred people, what it would look like. What are the proportions? How would it sit? What's the grace of the uh, approach to it? How does a woman stand who is in the business of social graces? She's going to have a veneration for it. There's going to be... There's going to be right ratios in how she stands and how she moves. Now, again, like I'm saying, these are def definitions for what this policing agent in the society would be. Those people, women who are going to rise to the level of influencing their civilization nobly. Okay? The civilization needs to be given order, and the person who serves it is the noble. If you're going to be that person, and you don't have to be, can I repeat that? I don't want anybody going home and saying, Mr. Wilson says we have to stand up straight to be good Christians. No. I am saying you can lie in a heap on the floor and be a good Christian. Okay? You can, you can be all sorts of different things than this. You can be like John the Baptist. And I don't think John the Baptist was a gentleman. I think Jesus was. But I don't think John was. Rule 12, a lady is confident. She does not doubt in what she is able. The insecurity up against the self-esteem addiction out there. There's a lot of fake claims of esteem, a lot of extra worry about what to be confident in. We just know that what, what you can afford is what you ought to be trying to give. You shouldn't be trying to give parties at the level of someone else you saw who can afford it, both in time, skill, and you know, just general uh, quality of who you are. You need to know who you are, what dignity you hold, and what kind of party you can throw. There are people who 
overreach and overreach themselves in a destructive way where the whole event is a travesty because there is she tried to do too much and she couldn't do it some people are insecure about that and they are, they're in tears up in their bedroom while their husband tries to explain the problem of why the cupcakes look like uh, you know uh, doorstops instead of cupcakes and everything turned out badly and the wife's weeping I don't know if you can imagine those situations, but I can. Not because my wife has ever made doors stop looking. It never did. Never happened. Don't ask about it. And there's also these optimists out there. Not women who that doesn't phase them for a moment that they can't do it. They, they still fail, but they don't see it. I, I was thinking of a particular woman at a particular dress function and the idea was she thought she could wear that dress but she couldn't but she did and it was just it was just you know eyes melting out of your head and you know it was just a, it was a it was it was not good you don't want to be in a situation where you either by your desire to reach higher than you know you should or because you are not accurate about who you are. You think more highly of yourself and you have an optimistic view. If you reach higher than you should, the destruction will be um, uh, devastating for you. Um, the confident place to be is to find out who, what you're capable of and live inside your, you might say, talented budget. What your budget is, not just financially, skills, Friendships that are, could come to your aid and do things for you, your home, also your station in life, what your husband can contribute, what, what's going on. The society you're in, we're not just talking about parties, we're just talking about you having an open home where you're being gracious to people. Your establishment, whether you're single and just having people over to the apartment, or whether you're married and having people over for dinner, or just people stopping by and they're complete strangers, we get them driving, walking by all the time here. We invite them in. What are you ready to do? What are you ready? And to be honest about yourself. Because when you're, when you're honest and you've practiced doing it inside your budget, that's where your confidence is built. You will have no doubt about what you're able. If you keep shooting the moon, you're going to always be wondering what you can do. Because you'll have a string of failures. Rule 13, a lady is dignified, her expression is meet with her position. I'm not going to go into that. That has to do with uh, um, what her position has as an expectation of its treatment. What, how does that affect it? What does Her Majesty expect? Rule 14, a lady is gracious. This is a tough one. This is, this is one of the closest of your Christianity. She has a polite word for the impolite. Once you step into this world where you think that you, um, the policeman's badge of ladyship goes to your head, you're a little too powerful, a little too concerned, a little too insistent, a little bit too your way or the highway about things, um, someone violates that privilege. Somebody does not do, someone does not come to the party that they said they would come to. We've had it happen any number of times. And there's a place with a card with their name on it, and they just don't even show up. They don't call. 
It happens. Or someone comes and acts like a toad. The temptation is, because you valued these things, because you should, because you're the policewoman, because it's needed, you become Mussolini. People get lined up against a wall and shot, hung by the thumbs. Bad things. Generally not Christian things. Down below in Matthew it says, Christ, you know Jesus, he recommends this. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Your Lord said you need to return good for evil. You need to bless those who curse you, persecute you. This is just Christianity, but it's landing in this arena of your social responsibilities, and so sometimes a lady may be more tempted to be a pill, to be cutting, to be cold, and not be able to be polite to the impolite. But her politeness, mercy, because remember, when someone does something bad, two things are natural to bad. Natural. Okay? Someone... Someone, what if I do bad to somebody here? Who shall I pick on? I'm going to, I'm going to, that's Stephanie, she's an old friend, she understands. I'm going to leap across the table, I'm going to, two rapid blows to the face. I, I'm not going to leap anywhere, I'm not that, I'm not that adroit. I, um, but say, just picture it, picture it for a moment. Now, I've done something very bad. I hit a woman and hit her twice. Provoked, but I hit her twice. <laughs> Now, two things are natural, make perfectly good sense with that degree of evil. Punishment, judgment, judgment, punishment, and mercy. Mercy makes, only makes sense when evil happens. Mercy is a virtue that only makes sense when evil happens. You don't have any mercy any other time. <laughs> mercy has to change the intention. Okay? And just like we think, well, they deserve to be punished. Now, they might not deserve mercy, but mercy is naturally associated with evil. That's where it belongs. And you have to ask yourself, is my reputation as a lady greater for my politeness in the face of impoliteness? Or is it greater if I ring a peel over his head for being so impolite? Well, everybody might think you were justified. Everybody might, you know, applaud you, you know, taking that guy to task for his rudeness. But they learn more about politeness, and they want to learn, you know, learn more about mercy, and so does he. The impolite person learns far more when a polite response happens in return. It's revelatory of where your heart is what you naturally want to say. If it's about you and yours, and the way you want it to be, you're going to be tempted to make a judgment because you see your intentions. It's a sin against you. Your little world, your little rules, they violated it, so you must be the hairy thunderer. 
but if you were there about serving others, um, where a good heart naturally devolts to mercy, and uh, selfish hearts want to persecute and punish the offender. And you have to stop and say, what is, what's better? What's good? Uh, you know, some things I, I can't say, like being adept in small things or how you stand that has anything to do with your Christian life. This has everything to do with your Christian life. It's, this is how it finds itself being lived out. You say, well, it has everything to do with my Christian life, even if I'm not a lady. Yes, that's true. But this is where it comes up with ladies. This is where the lady's role as a lady, when she's functioning as this presence in a social moment, um, this is where it will hit her. The last rule, a lady is modest. No plunging necklines, shirt, skirts not more than six inches above the knee. Six inches! You call yourself a pastor. I don't know what's the what's the right what's the right length for godly people? Past their thumbs. I it used to be if you knelt on the ground, the skirt had to be touching the ground. That's what I, I learned back in the back in the sixties. <laughs> <laughs> I took a girl uh, long before I met my wife. I took a girl. I do not remember her name. She was gorgeous from Detroit, Royal Oak, Michigan. I don't remember her name. I know her sister's names, Susan and Wano, but I don't remember her name. But I took her to church with my family. We had to, we were late because. We had to pick her up, because I didn't have a license. And so we all rode in the family station wagon. We got to Sunday school, and the Sunday school room for the early high school, junior high high school group, was up on the second floor of the church. And obviously, because it was junior high high school, all the boys sat on one side, and all the girls sat on the other side. We walked in, and there was only two seats on the girls' side. But first off, every guy notices who just walked in. Not Evan, who walked in with him. She was a redhead. And uh, we sat down on the girl's side. And then I enjoyed, far more than I enjoyed being with this girl, who I don't remember. I just remember this moment. Because her skirt, when she sat down, she wasn't sitting on any of it. It was that short. Well, every guy on the opposite side of the room <coughs> noticed. It was amazing. Okay, a lady is modest. She is not busy declaring herself. That story had nothing to do with what we're saying. Because, again, the modesty of preventing your Christian brothers from automatically lusting after you, okay? And just because you're pretty, and just because you're fashionable, and just because guys struggle because you're pretty and fashionable, looking at you is not your fault. It's theirs. But sometimes it's your fault. But we're not talking about that kind. You know, where you just, I think it's cute. Don't be an idiot. Don't dress like that. Now, what kind of modesty am I talking about? What's the, 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 the modesty of this girl's skirt, immodesty of this girl's skirt, was 
perhaps the effect of this real concern that we have here. The real concern is a lady does not draw attention to herself. When women, because they're insecure and they want to be effective, they want to be um, um, noticed, they, they, their whole future is hanging on whether some guy notices them, they're stepping over that line pretty regularly because all of a sudden they get a lot of attention. All of a sudden, it's amazing. That men are seen so shallow, but the, yes, we are. And so the woman starts to use that fear, insecurity, to declare herself more loudly. A lady is not about declaring herself, and loudness is immodest. We tell the, the men their first rule is a, a gentleman is modest, and the adage is he will live by his merits, not by their advertisement. Okay? You live by who you really are, you don't live by the declaration of who you are. And too often ladies will step into the same trap, they will start declaring themselves. We're not here to have society reward us. We're here to help. Um, you want it to be a real help. You want it to be a real asset. You want it to be a broad gain, not just for everybody, also for you, but you're not doing it for you. You are not to be the subject of the communications. You've been around women, perhaps, that you have despised. I trust that none of you have been like this in some situation where some girl is obviously about her and she wants the whole conversation and she wants every male in the room to be about her. You know those kind of girls. Obviously, not a lady. But it's not just because, oh, I don't like her so she's not a lady because I'm a good family and she's not and blah, 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 blah. It's because an issue of self-declaration. So, you could get this immodest way keeping your short skirt not short. You could, you could be just as bad as that girl by, the you might say, the brazen grasping after every bit of attention that goes by. You might have a very polite neckline and a very polite hemline. No guy's going to look at you with evil intent. And yet, you're immodest because you're constantly flaunting your wealth, that might be the thing you have. You're constantly flaunting your intelligence. You might be a very intelligent woman. Now this is bad for men. It's just as bad for men as it is for women. The immodesty aspect. You don't brag. And someone who walks into a room and starts to take their qualities and have them be the hero of their, all their stories, them be the object, even if they're not the hero, but they're the object, of all their stories, it starts to become evident to everybody that the evening's about them. If they relate something too much, too much of what's their good. A lady is in, has got a job to do in the situation. A lady is not present to make everybody realize it. Matter of fact, it would be more just as good to have no one realize it. The task is to make things go well. The task is to 
bring peace and a good thing into other people's lives. You're charged to make others rejoice at the gift, not who gave it. Probably all sorts of moments in theater and stories of people who could not let the giving of something not register with people as having been given by them. You know, when the Lord says, not much your right hand, know what your left hand is doing, this is part of it. Can you walk into a situation and bring good to it? I've met some very dear Christian girls who have been in various situations over the years. You see them in the kitchen washing up while the, the social butterflies are out flirting with the boys. They're cleaning up. It has to be done. It needs to be done. Someone needs to do it. It helps the situation. They don't care if they're getting the recognition. They don't care if they got any applause. They've just got their servant's hearts. When you adorn yourself with good deeds, this Timothy passage, that is the thing that we're dealing with. We're not dealing with adorning yourself physically at all, even if you found what your church expects to be a moral principle and clothing and amount of coverage for the naughty bits, that you are, could still be just as bad as a person who was completely standing around and next to nothing because you're immodest. You, you enter the situation wondering how it's going to do things for you and your conversation, your actions, you may be subtle, but it's still about you. And noble is being of governing service to that society. That's what noble is. I'm just saying that examine yourself on all these fronts. Go back and read through them. And if you want, you can order the whole book on Amazon. Find out what the guys are being told these days in the philosophies of the land. Go back through it. See what you agree with. You don't have to agree with it all. See what, in your circumstance, your economy, your gifts, your capabilities, what you want to do with your life and how you want to serve, whether any of this is helpful in creating the kind of mind that will then, when it learns how to do something polite in our society, can implement it without a problem. It will be natural to you because you have the kind of soul and heart and brain that is in the business of service to others. Well, that is it for the evening. Thank you. Um, let's uh, remember that tomorrow... We are talking about the mojo. So we're going to talk about boys somewhat directly. We will crush them, crush them like the worms they are, but hopefully we'll understand them better. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, thank you very much for the moments we have in social situations where we need people to help us along to guide us in the small things, to bring peace to the conversations. We'd ask that we would be better gentlemen, better ladies, with those of us who were called to it. We'd ask that you would also bless all the situations we wander into by what we can offer it. In your son's name, amen. amen.